Happy Easter, First Church. It is so good to be here with you today. My name's John. I'm the pastor here. And this has been such a life-giving community for my wife and for me. And, uh, you know, this church used to feel a little bit small. Some people now today say it feels a little intimidating. But I'll tell you what, it's a perfectly sized community at every service to know some people here. I feel like we have felt so welcomed. I challenge you to give it a try and get involved. I think you'll love it. And uh, my wife and I have been coming here for eight years. And uh, Kristen, my wife, leads our Hebron campus up there. And uh, she's given me four beautiful kids. Go ahead and put up that picture of my chicken nuggets. Look at them. Each of them, just perfect little itty-bitty teeny-weeny babies. And my wife is my heartbeat. And I'm so grateful for her, and uh, especially to be married to an honorary man like me. You know, I thought when I married a, a white girl, you know, being a dark-complected man, I thought all my kids were going to come out looking like little sumo wrestlers. But uh, that is not the case. I had some white kids, and uh, I thought, man, they don't look like me at all. The other day I was at, well, a few years ago, I was at Hinsdale Oasis on the tollway. And uh, my youngest daughter, Aurora, blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, perfect little girl. And I'm picking her up and she's doing the normal toddler thing. You know, I hate you, dad. I want my mom, you know, whatever. And she's kicking and screaming and, the, and, the, and I'm, I'm taking her away. And I get this lady who comes up to me. She says, sir, sir, what are you doing with that baby? What are you doing with that baby? And I'm like, uh-oh, you know, what am I doing with this baby right now? Like, I'm wondering. And uh, I say, well, I'm the dad. She goes, really? And I go, well, uh, you know, my wife has been very, very adamant that she is, in fact, my child. But if you would like to check with her, you know, I wouldn't mind. Just kidding. Um, it's your funeral. But anyway, for real, I couldn't be more blessed to be the pastor here. Hebron. Jasper County Jail, online in DeMott Weefield. Happy Easter, come on! Jesus is alive, he's risen. And this is a place where no one's perfect, where everyone's welcome. And uh, you know, I had a pretty eventful week. The month before Easter is always just one of those busy weeks for pastors and uh, busy months for pastors. And, and as many of you know, I like to drive nice cars. Okay, some of you might call them beaters with heaters. Some of you might call them mill cars. I call them nice cars. I've never purchased a car that's in the same decade that we're in. Currently own three vehicles. All of them are at least two decades old. And uh, I love going to the junkyard to find parts. One of my favorite pastimes. I like to take my kids on dates. The other night, I looked at one of my daughters. I said, hey, where'd you like to go on a date with daddy? And she looks at me. She goes, daddy, can we go to the junkyard? And I say, yes. Yes, we can. That's what I'm talking about. That's a catch right there, young man. That's a catch. But um, a couple years ago, I purchased what uh, they call a Texas limousine which is a 2004 Yukon Denali XL. Put that there. That thing's murdered out right there. That's what I'm talking about. Denali. Denali trim. It's loaded. We named it Batman. You know what I mean? Batman is a black car. But uh, anyway, heated seats, front and middle row. And uh, all of them work except for the driver's seat because who needs that? You know, nobody ever sits in that seat anyway. And then uh, it's got a TV in it. Remember when we were kids, we used to play the alphabet game, but now cars have TVs in it. I mean, this thing has a TV in it, but it's broken, so my kids get to still play the alphabet game. And it has what's called the 6.0, the 6.0 LQ4 iron block, hillbilly hot rod motor. I mean, that thing, you know, she's a, she's a real ripper. And uh, for the last 23,000 miles, it has not had oil pressure. That's okay, because we don't need that where we're going, you know. But uh, anyway, we named him Batman. And, uh, you know, I changed the sending unit on, and I changed the oil pump. I put a mechanical gauge on it, and if I rev it up, I can get her up to 4 PSI. So it's definitely not, not good. But uh, the metal shavings in the transmission or in the oil tend to keep it lubricated well. Runs like a top. And uh, this last Sunday, Batman was up in Hebron. We get the kids strapped in. Get her all set to go. Engine's fine. 
transmissions, Gucci, you know, 4L60E, those never break. And uh, just kidding, they break all the time. And uh, we turn the key and nothing happens. You ever have that? You know, you get in the car and you turn the key and click and it's like, oh man, you know, it's just that feeling your heart sinks. You know what I'm talking about, you know, oh. And it ended up, and I knew what it was. I'd been hearing it for a while. It was a starter motor. I changed it the other day. Here it is. This is literally the starter motor. And it's funny because the starter motor isn't even what's bad. It's just this little solenoid right here that went bad, but, you know, changed the whole thing because <laughs> it's America. But uh, anyway, it's amazing. We got this big four-ton truck. It's got a good engine. It's got a good trans. It's got, you know, a heater that works. AC's busted, but it's got a heater that works. I mean, it looks so good. It's got so many parts, and many of the parts work, but it doesn't run. Because it doesn't, it doesn't have a starter. Just a tiny little part. But without it, the car is just four tons of scrap. And you know, I think it's interesting because I think a lot of us have a faith in God that's a lot like Batman, my truck. Many of us believe in God, and that's the engine of our faith. That's the engine of our faith, you know. And we're here on Easter. I think church attendance is sort of like the transmission of our faith that brings power from, you know, that faith and belief in God and, and puts it to the wheels of our life. But there's something missing for a lot of us. And I think a lot of us, we think we should be good, and you know, our faith should be good, and we see other people, they've got this thriving faith. They're alive in Christ, but we get out to the parking lot of our faith, and we get in that vehicle, and we turn the key and click. It's like, oh, man, you ever have that feeling? You know, a lot of us, we've tried faith a lot. You know, we try to put it together. We try to get it together. You know, we used to go to church. We grew up in church. You know, we tried a lot of churches when we were young in that season of life. You know, a few houses ago, a few cities ago, a few jobs ago, maybe a few marriages ago, we were engaged and we were building that faith. But, but as we tried, it just felt like we weren't getting anywhere. Click, click, man, what's wrong? And we turned the key and the engine just, it wouldn't run. That's what I want to talk about today. I'm titling this message, If You Believe in God, But You Feel Like Something's Missing. That's what I want to talk about today. And if that's you, I think you're really going to like this. Now, most of us believe in God. That's it's pretty easy. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's easy. It's easy to believe in God. Something doesn't come from nothing. Intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. A building is a builder. A painting is a painter. The universe has a creator. You know, and I think that the religious dogma of atheism is pretty easy to see through, despite the pressure and manipulation of secular society. I think all of us late at night, even atheists, we know, okay, there's a God. Like, I get it, you know, obviously. I think most of us, not only do we believe in God, but we, we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in Jesus. You know, I mean, John three sixteen, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And I believe that. That's easy. You know, of all the world religions, none have the archaeological, historical, and biological and scientific evidence that Christianity does. There were 500 plus eyewitnesses who saw the resurrection of Jesus there's multiple corroborating, firsthand, eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have more evidence for the life and works of Jesus than we do for Julius Caesar, Plato, Aristotle, and Homer combined by an order of magnitude, times 10. Isn't that crazy? There's no life from the world of antiquity that's better attested to than the life of Jesus. Not only is Jesus real, though, I think all of us can see Jesus is good. The reason slavery is considered bad the reason we work to stop child sex abuse and sex predators, the reason women have a voice in the world, the reason hospitals, orphanages, and the Red Cross exist as a matter of historical fact exist because of Jesus. I mean, it's pretty easy to see that Christianity is true and good if you care about evidence. The only reason people reject it is because of a genuine lack of knowledge of the historical record. 
That's common. But Christianity does not take blind faith. It's objective, informed, clear faith. Of all belief systems, it's the easiest and clearest by far. I think the big problem for most people, it's not believing in God. It's not believing in the God of the Bible, Jesus. I think for most of us, the big problem comes when we get to Romans 3.23 and John 14.6. Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And John 14.6, these are Jesus' words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this is where everybody gets angry at God. Not many people today like the idea that everyone is sinful. And not only that, everybody today really hates the idea that Jesus is the only way. You know, not Muhammad, not atheism, not Buddha. Everybody hate that part. This is a part of the Christian faith that people don't like. In fact, I met a lot of people, you know, outside the church or loosely involved in church or sometimes really involved in church. They'll say, you know, Pastor, I believe in God, obviously. I believe in Jesus, obviously. But that sin stuff, that exclusivity stuff, that's just one step too far. You know, really, Pastor, you just got to be a good person and God will see you. That's it. You just be a good person and you do you and you treat others well and you'll be fine. The thing is, when people say that, it's like it's hard to say that you believe in Jesus but then not actually believe in his core teaching. Like, what does it mean to say you believe in Jesus when you don't actually believe in what he taught? That's like my wife saying, Pastor, or that's what she calls me at home. <clears throat> I know, it's great. It's like my wife saying, John, I'm faithful to only you. You know, I love you, I'm yours, I'm married to you. I'm just gonna cheat on you twice a month with my exes. Is that cool? It's like, no, what does faithful to me mean? What does it even mean, right? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means you believe what he taught, and he taught that we're all sinful, that we all fall short of his glorious standard, and he taught that he's the only one who can deal effectively with sin. You see, the, the whole reason Jesus came from heaven to earth, the whole reason we have this Easter celebration is because of Jesus dealing with the sins of the world not just the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, the resurrection is a great miracle to behold for sure, but Jesus is not the only one who has been raised from the dead. Even in the modern era, you know, I just read a great documented medical story about a baby in a Minneapolis hospital being born, being pronounced dead. 30 minutes later, as the parents were saying goodbye to the baby, they laid hands on this baby and said, in the name of Jesus live, and the baby came back to life. You know, in the Bible, the Shunammite widow's son raised from death to life. Lazarus, the dear friend of Jesus, dead for three days, raised from death to life. But Jesus, he taught us that when he died on a spiritual level, he took the sins of every Christian, past, present, and future upon himself, and he brought them to the only place where God is not, which is the biblical definition of hell, not just fire and brimstone, but separation from God. God's not there. Jesus brought the sins of the world there, and then he came back from sin, death, and Satan as victor. You know, so many of us have the engine of faith. We believe in God. We have the transmission of faith, we go to church, but when it comes to the starter of it all, many of us are, are missing that sin thing, the belief that we're sinners in need of saving. And I think the result is we do the religion thing on and off, and we put the whole vehicle together, and we give, and we serve, and we do all this stuff, but then we turn the key of faith, click, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. And this makes things frustrating for us. You know, we're sitting here going, what's, what's wrong with my faith? It, uh, it doesn't work for me. You know, I like talking with strangers. I never listened to my parents growing up. I, I talked with strangers all the time. And uh, as an adult, I still enjoy conversations with people that, you know, I met for the first time. I just, it's fun. You know, at a, at a gas station, at a, at a restaurant, on an airplane, at an airport, whatever. 
And you talk with strangers who you're never going to see again. And strangers say the darndest things. I mean, they will tell you stuff they've never told anyone else before. It's crazy, the stuff that they will say. And inevitably what happens, this is my favorite part of the conversation, is eventually they find out that I'm a pastor and they like have a seizure. You see it, they're like, oh, 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 oh pastor, <laughs> I'm a good person, blah, 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 you know. And a lot of times they'll say, I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. But I still believe because you don't need to go to a building to worship God. And I'm like, that might be true, but you do need to go to a church to obey God as a Christian, because he tells us to do that. But often this is what they say. They say, Pastor, here's the thing. I just don't think that that's sin teaching, that judgmental fire and brimstone teaching that the church does. I just don't agree with that. I say, okay, <clears throat> let me do a drawing. I always do this drawing, you know, on the back of a napkin or whatever. I'll say, here's the deal. Let's pretend that this line represents the spectrum of all the peoples of the earth, you know, good, bad, whatever, right? This is the line that represents it. And down here, we've got the devil, you know, or we've got Vladimir Putin or whatever. Up here, bad man. We've got God, you know, really good, right? And I'll say, where do you rest on this? Like, as far as your goodness, you're bad. Because you say you're a good person, and, you know, you say generally you're really good. Between these two, you know, where would you say you rest? But before you answer, let me tell you, you know, Mother Teresa. Let's talk about Mother Teresa. Great lady. You know, I mean, you read about her life, and it is amazing what this woman was like, like who she was. I mean, just this documented life of amazingness. You know, what's amazing is to read some of her writings, she says that she is a wretched sinner. Her words, not mine. Wretched sinner. She writes about how she falls short of God's glorious standard. And, you know, she would put herself probably right about here. I'm just going to put M-T, because I don't know how to spell Teresa. Is it T-H-E-R-E-S-A or T-E-R? I mean, you know, everybody, it's weird names. You know, Caitlin, McCotlin, McKaylin, Kayla. Like, I don't, I don't understand. You know, people say, you know, Theresa, Amisa. I don't know. So we just put an M-T right there. Then we got Billy Graham. Here's this amazing guy, I mean, 99 years old, scandal-free life. This guy spoke in front of more live people than anyone else in human history, did more for world peace than anyone else. He was the first one to pierce the Iron Curtain. Many say Billy Graham is partly responsible for ending the Cold War. Billy Graham's this amazing guy, and his autobiography, just as I am, he talks about his wretched need for the grace of God and his deep struggle with sin in his own personal life. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. We're going to put him right here, you know? For those of you who are Catholic, you know, we got the Pope. The Pope, well, he's obviously probably up here. No, you're wrong. Pope Francis, when he was first anointed and appointed, his first written words, I'm humbled as a wretched sinner to know that God could place this high calling on my life. The Pope. Now, I don't know where to put him. I'm gonna put him right in between Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. You guys can argue with me, but I think it's the most diplomatic position to put him in. There's the Pope right there. I say, me, I'm a pastor, you know, but I know I fall short of God's glory standard. I certainly fall short of Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the Pope. I'm going to put myself right here, you know? And then I look at my friend who I'm talking to, and I say, where would you put yourself? And depending on the person, they'll put themselves here or here, whatever, you know? I say, wow. For somebody who's a good person, that's a pretty big gap between your life and the glory of God. That's a big spectrum. You know, here's the thing, here's the thing. I wouldn't want to worship a God where there wasn't a big gap between me and God. I would fully expect, I would hope that the God I worship is a lot better than I am. I think that makes sense. They say, all right, pastor, I get it. You know, I do have sin in my life, but why does God care so much about sin? That's the big question. Why does God care so much? Well, it's because, it's because sin is hurtful. You know, all sin thousands of years before sociology would discover it would be defined by God as sinful. 
You know, in the world of antiquity, when children were widely accepted as slaves and objects to be used for the pleasure of adults in all the world, Jesus was the first to teach that harming a child was profoundly sinful and hurtful. He ended the widespread practice of child abuse. Thank God for Jesus. You know, when most of the world taught that lying was honorable to get more for yourself and your family, Jesus taught that it was, it was wrong. The world widely benefited from it. In fact, parts of the world today that don't embrace the teachings of Jesus still honor lying. In Muslim culture, it's considered honorable to lie for you and your family. In atheist China, lying is perfectly okay. In fact, they have to lock up toilet paper in public restrooms because people will just steal all of it. What's amazing is to watch the way the church has brought progress to Western civilization. I mean, church attendance as a percentage of total population is a great predictor of consistency of economic expansion over the ages. Because when people believe that they're sinful and that there's a God and authority over us who calls us to be better and that by nature we need to grow and change and be refined into God's image, it turns out when we believe those things, we treat each other better and the world becomes a better place. The problem is when we start believing that we're good by nature, we're not bad. I'm a good person. You know, I might have some issues, but I'm not like sinful completely. Like I'm, I'm good. When we start believing that, we start believing that other people are the problem. They're the problem, not me. You know, it's because of my mom. It's because of my dad. You know, society becomes anarchy. I could just take from that person because, you know, their ancestors 160 years ago are my ancestors and, you know, my life matters and, you know, whatever and this and you've wronged me because, you know, and I can take back what's mine anyway. Why do we have locks on doors? And keys for cars. Why do we have security systems and fraud protection? Why do we have divorce court and custody battles? Because lots of people started believing, well, I'm good and they're bad. You know, and I'm good and they're bad. And the reason why things are bad is because they're bad, but I'm good. And, you know, the world stops working. And that's why God cares about sin. Because sin hurts people. And this is what we see today. I mean, we see this incredible historical narrative. You know, 2,000 years of progress. Think about it. 2,000 years ago today, Christianity was 12 guys in a room. And the life expectancy was 35 years. Half of all children died before puberty. Imagine half your kids dying before puberty. And we went from that to the wealth we have today because corporately people started believing that we were sinners in need of a savior. And the world was transformed. Thank you, Jesus, for caring about sin. And today we see societal progress plateauing. Why? Why? Because a lot of people started believing, well, I'm a good person. You know, they're bad people, but I'm good. My ex is the problem, but I'm a good person and they're bad because I'm good and they're bad. You know, it's the Democrats that are bad, but I'm good. And it's the Republicans that are bad, and I'm good. And, and my man, you know, Tucker Carlson, he's good, and they're bad. My man, Brian Stelter, you know, he's good, and they're bad, because I'm on the good team, and they're the bad team, and they need to change. And our growth as a society, well, guess what? It begins with our growth as individuals. And our growth as individuals begins with us recognizing that we are sinful. And when we deny this fact, we stop growing as people and as a society. How many of us today... How many of us today know people who are obsessed with themselves? I feel like most, most people are. Me monsters. You know, you go out and you get these people, they just talk about themselves constantly and how hard their life is. We live in the most prosperous time in human history and we're just like, life's terrible, you know? And it's like, why did I even come here? I could have just brought a bobblehead. Oh, oh, wow, unbelievable. Oh, you know, I could have just brought a mirror and let them just talk about themselves. This is me. I don't want to confess my sins sometimes. And I become a me monster. You know, the other year, uh, when I first bought Batman the truck, we got him at an auction. We got a great deal on him. He had some problems, but we got him at auction. He was fresh out, just barely had 200,000 miles on him. He was pretty fresh for us. And uh, I got the car title, and I put it on the counter because, you know, our BMV in DeMont Weefield at that time was open Monday, Wednesday, and every other Friday. And I couldn't make it there till the following Wednesday. So one week, this title had to survive on our counter. 
and I pull my family together. We don't do paper a lot in our house. We're very digital. But I look at my family, and this car title is kind of like the last place where we have paper. I look at my family. I pull my kids together. I say, family meeting. This is called the car title. Nobody touch this car title. I'm going to put it on the counter. The kids are too short to reach the counter, but I pulled them all in because really, I'm just concerned about my wife at this point. Because <clears throat> she is like Jaws with garbage, you know what I mean? That car title is like Quint at the end of Jaws. Like, no, no, you know what I mean? Like, don't touch the car title, okay, honey? I mean, it's just pretty simple. I'm just gonna ask you one week, don't touch it, right? So a week later, I come back to the counter. The car title's gone. I say, Kristen, Kristen, where'd the car title go? You know, where'd it go? She's like, I didn't touch it. I go, Kristen, I didn't touch it. What do you think I am? Like, I put the title on the counter. What'd you, what'd you do with this title? And she's like, John, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? You're the one that moved it, you know? She's like, I don't remember moving it. I said, well, I didn't move it. Are you calling me? You think I'd move the title? I'm the one who told you the title's important. We can't, and we looked the whole house over. I'm like, Kristen, we can't get another title. This thing's been reassigned from dealer to dealer to the auction. I can't file for a duplicate. It's not in my name. I might as well just drive Batman to the scrapyard and take the weight and scrap, you know, take the money and scrap, 300 bucks is all we're gonna get out of this truck because you lost the title, I can't believe this. You know, and I'm making myself sound nicer than I really was, it was worse than that, you know. And she's got a newborn baby, you know, she's holding one of my, one of my children, and she's like, well, would you just look in Batman, maybe you put him in Batman. I said, Kristen, why would I put the title in Batman? I can't drive Batman because he doesn't have, he's not registered yet. And she goes, well, it's the only place we haven't looked. You know, can you just go outside? And I go, all right, fine. You want me to look at Batman? I'll do that for you to make you happy because I love you. It's obviously not there. But if you want me to waste my time, did you wake me up? Did you rub this lamp? I'll put on my shoes. And I'll walk out there. And I walk out and bam, I slam the door because I'm a jerk, right? And uh, I'm walking out there. And I just have this like fleeting little memory of like, wait, did, it, did I put the title in Batman? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You know what I mean? So I walk out there and I am praying, Jesus, please don't let the title be in Batman. <laughs> At this point, I would rather lose everything. I'd rather lose the truck than have the title be in Batman. I open up the door and I open up the glove box and there's the title. And I'm like, I'm a dead man. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting in that car. I'm like, I'm so scared. Have you ever been afraid to walk in your own house that you paid for it with your own money? Because behind that door, you know there's somebody who has a license to kill you. You're like, it's over. I'm calling at that time the chairman of our consistory. I'm calling Ron Fieldhouse. I'm like, Ron, it's been nice knowing you. I'm going to die. I just want you to know you're going to need a new pastor. I get out and I open up the door. I'm like, eh. you know, I walk in. And Kristen just gives me a big hug. She goes, we were praying that you'd find it. I love you so much, John. That's it. She was just sweet. You know, what did sin do in that situation? Who did it hurt? Hurt me? Hurt my wife? Hurt my kids? Might even hurt my grandkids. I mean, my kids saw their dad treating their mom that way. They learned that that was an appropriate way to act. Sin hurts everybody. Sin has a ripple effect. Sin makes the world a worse place. The problem wasn't the car title being misplaced. The problem was the momentary belief that I would never lose a car title. This is so many people. So many people who claim to be Christian. Oh, I love God, right? Really what we do is we love ourselves. We just use God as a handkerchief to clean up our messes. And we do whatever we want. We don't live according to God's standard. We live according to our truth, our standard. You know, and we with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, and we turn down for what, and we party, and we live whatever we want to do. And then we blame everybody else for our problems, including God. That's what he is to us. Oh, God, why would you do that? You know, I can't. And here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with this. Is it leaves us feeling powerless and depressed and anxious. That's what it does. When you blame everyone else for your problems, the world is not a good place to be. And what we do is we get so many plates spinning and so much smoke and mirrors, our perception of reality is like walking through a funhouse at a fair. 
I mean, that's what we do. We distort reality so much to make ourselves look good and make other people look bad, and it's a miserable place to be. The truth is God loves us so much that he points out sin in our lives because he wants to end the suffering caused by sin because all people are harmed by sin. All people have sin in our lives. And when we deny it, we're the ones who are hurt. But when we confess it, we're the ones who find freedom and healing. And when Jesus said everyone has sinned, we all fall short of our, his glorious standard, he wasn't there to hurt us. He was there to love us. That's why he cares about sin. Now some of you are like, all right, all right. Point proven. Sin matters. I hear you, pastor. But what about heaven? Like, why does God demand that sin be removed to get to heaven? Like that eternal damnation thing for like even a little bit of sin, doesn't that seem like a little bit far? Why doesn't God just say, come on in, you guys. Everybody's welcome. I put out some apple pie up on the window of heaven by the pearly gates. You just all come on in. <laughs> welcome. You know, because God's Southern, I like to imagine. That's a good question. I'll answer it with another question. Why is the world messed up right now? Why do marriages end? Why do friendships have drama? Why do people drive drunk? Why do people use drugs? Why do spouses fight mean? Why do people cheat? Why do kids sass their parents and act so ungrateful? Why do millennials ruin the world in every way possible? Just kidding. Not really. Look, the earth is messed up because there's sin in the world. You know, if there was no sin in the world, I would say that the earth would be pretty heavenly, right? If there was no sin on earth, it'd be a nice place. And if God was like, just come on into heaven just the way that you are, heaven would become like earth, full of locks and keys and pain and betrayal because sin just multiplies and compounds personally and corporately. Judges 17, 6 describes it pretty well. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. And people did right, whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This is describing one of the most hellish periods in biblical history. It was a terrible time. And it sounds a lot like the world today. Wars in Ukraine. People doing what seems right in their own eyes. And here's why this is justified. And here's this distorted fake news view of reality. Politics at each other's throats, it's their fault, not my fault, I'm the good person. Schools telling lies to our kids, it's their fault, not my fault, you know, they're bad and I'm not bad. And everyone arguing with everyone else saying, well, it's their fault, not my fault, because I'm a good person. This is how so many of us live in regard to our faith. Like a car without a starter, it looks good. Oh man, I'm a good person, you know, go to church, do whatever. It looks fancy, it looks like it'll run, but it's fundamentally broken. Our faith is broken. The starter motor of faith is confessing our sin to God, saying, God, I am completely sinful to the core, and I need your grace as a covering for my sin. And without that, we get in the car, and we turn the key, and like a dead star starter, click, click, nothing happens. That was the problem with my childhood faith for so many years. I was a good kid from a good family. My mom's family was Buddhist, my dad's family was atheist, and I saw the pain and hurt that those religious systems caused in, in their lives. Specifically, you know, my dad's family, I saw the pain and hurt that atheism caused. It was a painful religion, for sure. I mean, so wealthy, so successful, and so profoundly miserable, and I saw the joy and love and hope that Christianity brought to my family. I said, that's good, I believed in God. But you know that sinful part? I didn't really believe it. And my faith became a dead car. I had the engine of faith, I had the transmission of faith, but when I turned the key, click, and it was so disappointing. It was so unfulfilling, you know, you'd go and you'd be engaged and you'd do all the things and everybody else had this faith that seemed to roar to life and you'd sit there and you'd be like, I hope nobody notices, but I'm dead inside. 
Middle school, I just felt anxious and depressed. You know, I started blaming everybody for my problems. Feeling like I was always being held back. Feeling like it was their fault. I started being like, maybe this isn't real. I don't know. Everybody has this stuff. I believed in God. I believed Jesus was real. But that Romans 3, 23, for everyone who sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Mm -mm. Not for me. You know, one day I began to realize that I played a role in the most negative issues in my life. This is a major oversimplification of a complex story, but at a Christian summer camp with my youth pastor, Jeff Wright, preaching, who's preached at this church many times, um, <clears throat> I admitted I was a sinner, and I engaged a starter motor of faith, and God changed everything, and for the first time, the engine of my faith roared to life. I was born again, and new life in Christ. Romans 3.24 3.23 says, for everyone that sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. But then 24 says, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. And then Romans 3.25, the quintessential Easter verse, this is what it says. It says, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. In that moment, I didn't just realize that I had problems. I realized that I had problems I was powerless to fix. I was sinful to the core, and I needed Jesus to put his grace over my shortcomings. And when I received that grace, I was born new in Jesus Christ. The faith I watched others have, the faith I tried so desperately to have, I turned the key for years, click, click, nothing, nothing. But when I admitted to God that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, my faith roared to life. And finally, what so many others had, I had. I had. I was new in Christ. Today, I wonder if there's not a lot of us here living just like I did. Sure, you believe in God, but you're a good person. And you get out every time. You know, you come to church, you do these things, and you come once in a while. If you've had seasons of your life where you've been engaged and whatever, and you turn that key and click, and it's like, man, what's wrong? Without believing that you are a sinner in need of a savior, hopeless without the grace of God. Your faith will not work. Christianity begins with admitting, not just believing. Remember, the devil believes in Jesus. The devil's not a Christian. Christianity begins with admitting that we are sinners in need of a savior and that the grace of Jesus alone can redeem us. It begins with us admitting, God, I need you to forgive me and lead me. I'm done with my old life. I'm done with my own standards. I'm done with my own truth. I'm now living according to your standards in the Bible. I'm done justifying my life, saying I'm a good person. I disagree with God on these things. It's saying, God, your standards in the Bible, they're my standards now. God, your standards for love, for grace, for forgiveness, for partying, for sex, for gender, for money, for hope, for eternity. God, I'm trusting you with all of it. And this Easter, if you've been struggling with that faith that clicks and doesn't come to life, what if you said, Jesus, I want that? You can text I'm in, I am I in, no spaces, to 219-507-7505. We would love to contact you this week and talk about how Jesus can be your leader and forgiver. On your blue cards, on all of your seats too, so just on, on the left or right half of your note sheet, there is um, a tear-off. And you can check the top box on there and turn it into the usher plate on the way out, and we'll also contact you this week. God is so good, though. He's real. Something doesn't come from nothing. And at the end of this life, we will stand before the God of the universe. And our standards and our opinions and our feelings 
They're not going to change who God is, the truth of who God is. We all ascend. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There is this big chasm between us and God, and the only way to overcome that is the grace of Jesus in our life. God is so good, and he loves you so much, and today I would challenge you to choose to follow Jesus as your leader and forgiver by asking him to forgive your sins and lead your life. As we close, I'd like to ask you to stand to your feet at all of our locations online, at Hebron, at the jail. I'd like to have a prayer for us. God, today we celebrate you as the risen Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. And God, for people who have been missing something in their faith, today I ask that you would fill that missing piece, that you would give them the courage to say, Lord, I need your grace. I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness, Lord. Would you raise them to new life in Christ? Would you give people the courage to actually take a step in faith? God, would you not just change eternities today, but would you change generations, delivering people from the hurt and pain of sin into new life in Christ? It's in the name of Jesus we ask and pray these things. All God's people said amen and amen. Let's sing this last Easter song together, guys.